Toshi, good uh, good evening. Yes, good good evening. And uh, now I'm calling from uh, talking from Japan. And uh, uh, do you receive my direct mail uh, direct message for you about the KF independence? Um, no, but just uh, just go ahead and you know what 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 do you want to talk about? Go straight into it. Yes, I uh, in uh, latest KF post is uh, uh, a KF post uh, reported about the U.S. Uh, U.S. Air Force uh, F-16 and F-15 uh, fighter jets uh, are able to use it for the Ukrainian uh, fighter pilot in maybe within the U.S. Uh, so uh, it is, uh, of course, it is not a, a directly sub, uh, supply of the assault of the military uh, aircraft fighter aircraft to Ukraine, but uh, starting it within the U.S. is uh, the training within the U.S. is uh, it is a very good uh, footstep for the uh, supported to the uh, Ukraine and and more the Russians will be very nervous about the air air superiority. Uh, sorry, I'm not sure the pronunciation. Uh, uh now you know the air of the ukraine is uh, not uh on ukrainian air force uh maybe particularly under the controlling of the russian air force but uh, if uh, a sort of the supply of the us fighters in uh, air battlefield in uh, ukraine yeah. Russians are very, very, very ungood situation uh, in the warfare. So I think it, it is a very uh, good news. And maybe uh, I'm wondering what should, what will they do by the Russian side? Maybe a little worry. Thank you. Thank you, Toshi. Um, yeah, so this, is, this all comes from, uh, I believe it was a bill in front of the U.S. House of Representatives yesterday. Uh, that suggested so it was an appropriations bill that suggested uh, earmarking, I, I believe, a hundred million dollars for the training of Ukrainian pilots on F-15 and F-16 airframes in the U.S. Um, you're quite right. Uh, having those in the Ukrainian Air Force would be very advantageous, right? Um, for there are substantially better airframes that one Russians can muster, and you are also quite right in saying that. Currently, neither side has air superiority uh, in uh, in Ukraine. Um, Ukrainians, especially as of late, have seemed to have targeted Russian air defenses quite well, uh, including with a few HIMARS strikes, uh, having reportedly taken out, I believe, three S-300 and S-400 batteries combined. So, yeah, ab- absolutely, you're quite right. Um, and, and getting better technology in uh, would enable Ukrainians to... Now, perhaps assert a little bit more control over the airspace of the Ukraine. Osint, um, any any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> from a from a war planning, air, air war planning perspective, like the uh, it it is very difficult to jumpstart an air force. And frankly, I I and many others have a hard time understanding how the Russians have failed so epically in. Uh, establishing air superiority 
uh, because their technology that they have is actually pretty decent. It's, I mean, it's, it's not comparable to Western, but it's it's not bad. And it, it, it could be used, but it, it demonstrates dramatically how poor, apparently, the Russian military training and Russian military integrated warfare planning was uh, that they didn't establish air support earlier on. And then the Ukrainian Air Force's ingenuity has been radical. And so the, the, those things notwithstanding, like, like, like just talking purely about what you would have to do to bring online F-16s and whatnot, uh, it comes down to two things. Uh, one is that generating F-16s and F-15s, primarily F-16s in the uh, first wave, is doable. The problem is landing and then refueling, regenerating, rearming, re repiloting. And so that's the element of logistics from an air war planner perspective is like you have to factor all that in. Those are wildly critical, vulnerable spots for attack. I, if I was a U.S. war planner, uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable sending a sortie of F-15 or F-16 uh, or combined arms, um, uh, if, like force package integration uh, package into the airspace until I knew I had enough to cycle them in at a rate which means that by the time my pilots that landed from the first sortie were done sleeping and regenerating, they could generate the next. And so, the, the, like, there's an algorithm that has to go into effect. If not, there are sitting ducks. And so, like, it, it, it's very, it's far more complex than people think because it's a, a wing of uh, national power. And it, it'll be targeted by standoff cruise missile munitions. And so if, you know, if Ukraine manages to suppress Russian air defense as well, right, and manages to dispense with many of these S-300, S-400 platforms uh, using HIMARS, for example, that, that's going to greatly improve their capacity to then later on use, uh, use their air force as well, right, whether it's the current existing Soviet era airframes or indeed the Western one. Actually, you missed the, you missed the question about the F-15s and in F-16s possibly going to Ukraine. What did I mean? Oh, Toshi was just uh, bringing up the story from yesterday, uh, whereby a uh, hundred million dollars is apparently on, the, on its way to being appropriated for uh, Ukrainian pilots training on F-15s and F-16s. He was just asking, you know, how how much would those airframes help uh, Ukraine in the war? It's a massive improvement. There is no such. Uh, the uh, Russian air force has nothing uh, in comparison. And we went through it yesterday in quite some detail. What the capacity of the F-16 is and uh, what the F-15, the various F-15 versions thereof are capable of. I mean, one would wish for them to get the Strike Eagle, of course, which with its massive amount of ammunition, uh, loitering capacity, two po- uh, Mach 2.5 would be able to yeah, smash and grab everything. So, fine. Um, it's, it's a clear sign to Russia that uh, the game's up and um, they will not win. They actually will lose everything. That's good, Mike. Yeah, no, we're here. We're here. I think it's worth saying that the standard U.S. paradigm of, and frankly, NATO paradigm of F-16, F-C, F-15, uh, E or C uh, usage is couched within the frame of fourth and fifth gen fighter integration, 
And in this context, if you were to provide it to a nation that didn't have fifth gen fighters, you're talking fourth gen only fighter implementation. I still think it's wildly better than MIGs or Sukhois. Uh, yeah, sure. There's no question of course it is. Yeah. And by the but, way, but the, the Russians have no fifth generation capacity to speak of. It's an old tosh. Yeah, I know, I agree. But I do think it is like the survival ratings and weaponry ratings that the West gives those platforms would not be applicable because they are uh, assuming a certain type of force representation that wouldn't be applicable here. Which, like, yeah, no, I still I think they should disagree. Sorry, mate. I completely disagree because we would never let them go there without actually giving them the intelligence. The F-35 is an intelligence, and we have the intelligence capacity, and we will provide them the intelligence and oversight. We will not provide them the air suppression, but we don't have to. If they get these platforms, they have the Strike Eagle, and they can at the same time use their MiG-29s as decent fighter screens, uh, they'll be fine. I mean, to be frankly honest, uh, no, no United States air platform is primarily a, a fighter platform. It's primarily a intelligence platform. There are some that are targeting, but frankly, we don't need them. Like the what F-35 it comes to is an intelligence uh, intelligence platform first and foremost. It is a fully integrated uh, battle uh, and area command set. I think the F-35 is a decent situational awareness forward edge leading platform, but it is nothing compared to the capability of the nation. And even in a tactical time frame, uh, that being said... Nothing compared to what? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Maybe I'm just not not hearing you correct. Nothing compared to what? Compared to the capability of the nation in a tactical time frame. Like, the... The idea that the F-35 is the first sensor to shoot her to uh, the one that picks up the track and passes the track, it's, it, that is at least second or third platform. Um, now, the idea that, I guess, modern air warfare... But I didn't is, say this. I'm, I'm, I, I, can't, I don't quite follow you at the moment. I don't know where, where you're going off with this. Explain to me. What is the issue in discussing F-16s and F-15s not being sufficient in order to win this campaign? Because that's what, that was what I said. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we may be on And the Russians have absolutely no capacity to, uh, to uh, defend themselves against it. If the Strike Eagle is up there and you have fighter screens with the MiG-29, uh, you, the only thing you need is to take the Su-25s into the field uh, with good support by the F-15s, and that's it. And you have the, the F-16s will beat the shit out of everything. Russian air defenses can... Mu- the, I mean, uh, it's as clear as day for anyone who's ever been... It, it, is, it is difficult to discuss the realities of air warfare. I think that it is uh, realistic to assume that uh, in most situations, you're probably correct, the F-16 is a very formidable aircraft, and, and, and I, I'm absolutely supportive of F-16s, F-15s, F-15s, E's and C's being delivered to Ukraine. Uh, I think it is worthwhile to understand the limitations and understand that those are considered old technology to the United States for a specific That's reason. Fine, but compared to what on the enemy side? Yeah, there is very limited uh, technological solutions on the Russian side. Now, there might be some 
limiting solutions. So like without going into detail, it is hard to assess what the Russian fifth generation aircraft may be, but uh, like capabilities, true capabilities, not, not publicized ones may be. That being said, the difference between fifth and fourth generation aircraft is dramatic. Like if you have a fully functioning F-22 fighting an entire flight of F-16s, it may wipe the flight of F-16. So like the, the difference between generations is not something that you can just uh, disregard. Right. And so that, that's something that like, that's a hard thing to know. And it's a hard thing to talk about. But it is it is something worth considering, and, and in that regard, like an F fifteen doesn't stand a goddamn chance <laughs> in an environment where a fifth generation that could wipe, uh, you know, the four leading edge of an air superiority could be even an F fifteen, F a light gray, an F fifteen C, right? So like that is uh, a technological differential. Now, to me. Russia has not presented its most advanced technologies in this war for a reason. And my personal opinion of that reason is that it is likely, based on everything else we've seen, that the technology is lackluster. And it would probably present a critical failure of the state to demonstrate that. Uh, that's, I, even though it's optimistic, and I generally lean towards pessimistic, that is what I would uh, probably say is is true, um, but we have to plan as if that's not true. I fear Axelmat have suffered uh, an inopportune technical difficulty because um, he's uh, connecting, 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 and can't can't seem to actually connect. Um, yeah, it happens. I feel how it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's uh, let's uh, maybe pause on that while we try to get Axel back up and go to Matt in the meantime. Matt. Yeah, so although the F-15 is 49 years old, it's been upgraded many times, and it's 114 and 0 in, um, in uh, dogfights. I mean, even as, as recently as uh, Desert Storm, it, it mopped up make 29s So, I mean, even though the F-15 is old, it's been upgraded many times, and it's, it, you know, it hasn't been shot out in a dogfight yet. So I would be excited to see the other team in Ukraine. I will say, uh, um, I, I I actually I love the F fifteen. I think it's a beautiful light and dark grays are beautiful, and they were birds of prey in the best of the way. But uh, I I think you put an F fifteen C height of its uh, capability, air superiority, air to air against a Su fifty seven. I just like I think the Su fifty seven publicized capabilities are bullshit, but even then, I think it'll probably annihilate it. Nope, if you put it against the F-15. Israelis have done work with the F fifteen over the years. I mean, granted, it's got a lot of mid twenty threes, but you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it, like it, it has shown to do work against big twenty nines, and you know, we're not really seeing a lot of the uh, fifth generation uh, planes in Ukraine. And, you know, I mean, we're seeing, you know, much less survivable jets uh, survive, you know, in, in this contested environment. Well, and to be fair, they've withheld almost ex- 
almost entirely the fifth generation power. I, I think that's in purpose because if I had to guess their fifth generation is like generation 4.5. Like if I had to guess why they're not fielding most of their fifth generation fleet, it's because they're not good. Like now, That's the whole point. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. We're discussing apples, oranges, and, and plums. Now, let's talk about what we have. And yeah, with these spies, it's another paper it. tiger. You know, they most... I think Matt can't hear you, Axel. Sorry, carry on. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it seems... Mic check. Sorry, carry on, Axel. I'll get Matt back uh, in hopefully a better state. No problem. I don't know what it is. Uh, presumably, it's just uh, my cache, which is full. I don't know. I have not heard much of what was being said. I only heard something about the SU-57. And then, Okay, let's put it this way. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing the Russians can field which best possible sensor technology on the F-16 can't take down, period. And that's how far advanced we are compared to that I... old platform, that an old platform, but an upgraded Still very viable and very good platform, like the F-16 can do this. If we were to bring Raptors into this, the F-22 would erase everything they have. The F-16 will fight it to death, and the F-15, if we get them Strike Eagles, will simply, utterly plaster them. Simple terms. Very simple terms. We can go through every single detail, mate. There's no problem. I once did this for a living. This is, they have nothing on us. That is their problem. That's why they're projecting. That's why they need to threaten us. It's a Potemkin village army. Uh, I mean, to some degree, I'm giving them benefit of the doubt. I understand that. I, I am very experienced in uh, air warfare planning, specifically in this type of scenario. I'm not saying that they have a superiority on us, but rather that there is a way that we do planning that is uh, based on vehicle versus vehicle uh, ratios and, and things that will bring us to the correct level. And uh, we do have to plan as of right now without having seen those technologies demonstrated live in a worst case scenario. Uh, and I, I think that is the correct call and is correctly uh, risk averse in a specific way. And that being said, yes, I we are absolutely dominant. Look, honestly, the United States dominant militarily to the entire world by a factor that is hard to understand. Okay. Uh, thank you, Austin. Sorry, let's do some mic checks. Axel? All good. Okay, excellent. Matt, can we hear you now? Uh, mic check? Yeah, I can hear you. You're still quite distorted. It's um, sort of a Dalek voice, if you remember how Imperius sounds like sometimes. Uh, mic check? Yeah, nope, still very distorted. It's it's readable, but it's distorted. Okay, I'm, I'm going to restart my phone. <laughs> Sounds good. Right. Um, so, Austin, Axel, are you fundamentally in agreement? Or what, where's the... I, I think it's difficult for many of us to distill where the, the, the crux of the difference here is. Uh, I'm not sure there was actually a, a, a difference that had to be, like, allocated there. I think it was, like, a, just a healthy debate. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, in other words, uh, basically, these uh, modern American jets way better than the old Soviet stuff. I think that's uh, uh, probably seventy-five percent of it, right? I would uh, totally agree with that. Hi, Gurney. Gurney, let's just try your mic as well. So, I think we've been having lots of problems. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I'm half tempted to uh, 
to go for a restart on the back of the number of issues we're experiencing. Uh, but let's see, let's see what Orlando has for us. Um, a question which is, uh, after the liberation and the or, freeing of... Orlando, you need to start again, because uh, we, we, we heard witches after the liberation was the first words that we got from you. I heard him perfectly. Before that? Before yes. witches after... Oh, dear God, because I didn't. And usually that's, that's the same. Orlando, just start, start again with from, from the top if you can. Is, anyone, is everyone silent? Because I can't hear anyone. I think everybody was quiet. Okay, good. We got that sorted. Orlando, can you please start again from the top? Orlando, can you hear me? Okay, Orlando's out. Let's go to Toshi. Yes, and uh, uh, maybe uh, already to know the story of the, the old Russian tale about the Pochomkin village. I'm not sure the financiation of the Pochomkin village. The minister of the Russian Empire, of the high class of the minister, is a, his name is Pochomkin. Pochomkin is with the uh, Eka, uh, uh, queen of the Russia, Ekaterina. Uh, we, uh, she would like to go to the, everywhere in Russia and watching to the how uh, the people of the Russians are living or uh, something happen uh, in the, within the Russia. So, but uh, of course, in uh, India, these uh, village are starving or not cream prey. Exactly, say garbage like a, a house and farmers. So it is very ungood, uh, visible. So the Potomkin is preparing for the trip of the Queen Ekaterina, uh, preparing for the visiting for the Queen, uh, rebuilding of the villages, clean up and good clothes and singing a song within a uh, happy. So the queen will uh, arrive to each of the city or village. Everything is very beautiful and a good uh, atmosphere place. But uh, the queen leaves the villages. Then the farmer uh, goes back to the pastime. I think in uh, Russian army, the activity looks like uh, they are acting as a fake, like a Pochomkin village. So everything goes well. Every uh, equipment is uh, uh, prepared. So 100% of the on the operation. But uh, in reality, uh, it is not the same of the reporting of the headquarters of the Russian military or Vladimir Putin. So I think in... Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is not believed to the own military and own uh, systems in 100%. But uh, in in this uh, happen of this war, uh, I think in his face facing to the how many how many right uh, they made to him. So, so as think, you're saying, Toshi, right, a broader. Um, pattern of lies and deceit within Russia, right? Yes. So the, the, their planes are their planes, but their fake, their capabilities are 
exaggerated they're painted over like the Potemkin village was right and their and their defenses are you know not yeah. really there and, and so on yes and so in uh i think in the in the in the front line or a sort of the maintenance of the the Russian army or air air force it is almost like get panic everything is not goes well and almost the ten percent or or twenty percent of the equipment is able to uh mm-hmm. active so of course they try to fix up or uh, replacing to the parts or fix up but uh India, it is not goes too well. So I think in uh, uh, I, I thought it is almost a Pochomkin village of the story of the Ekaterina, Queen of the Ekaterina. So uh, maybe everybody knows this, but I'd like to point out. No, I, I agree with you, Tashi. I, I agree for sure. Um, and incidentally, right, the Potemkin village, the original Potemkin village, um, was uh, there after. Uh, the, the Russian Empire under uh, Catherine uh, occupied large swaths of what is now southern Ukraine, very much similar areas to what uh, the Russian Empire of today, um, this this you know p- p- pathetic reincarnation of the Russian Empire, is uh, trying to steal from Ukraine once again, you know, in, in the area around Kherson, for example. Yes. So uh, the origin, uh, the root of the uh, nationality, the custom is not is able to change it easy. So I think in uh, I am I'm permitting to the uh, the theory of the the nationality or no not the nationality the root of the soul of the each of the people uh, is not able to change. I thought. Man, I, I think you're right. Toshi, I think you're uh, you're quite right, and I think that's a good observation. Thank you, Toshi. Um, hi, Rebecca. You just uh, joined us in the last few minutes. Uh, if, if you have something uh, for us, if you have something to share with the panel, a question, a comment, feel free to go right ahead, Rebecca. Okay. Um, could anyone hear Rebecca? Because I, sh- I saw that she unmuted, but then I didn't hear. Yeah, I saw I, I saw her unmuted, but I could not hear any 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 sound, and she's dropped right now. So okay, it's not you guys. Yeah, no, I I think it's quite significant uh, uh, technical issues. Oh, we're we're having her back. Okay, it's good. Um, no, I think it's a, it's a day for glitches. I think it's a, it's a glitchy sort of Saturday. Rebecca, welcome back. Go right ahead. Hello. We can hear you now. Thank Go right you. ahead. No idea why my phone turned my mic off um, repeatedly. I wanted to make a point about uh, the point of atrocities and the Russian commitment to the war and cults. Because making your people commit atrocities that will be viewed as horrific sins against humanity outside your immediate community is a classic way of binding people to a criminal gang or to a religious cult And I think Putin is doing this to the entire Russian nation. He wants the Russians to know. I mean, he's left the situation so porous. You can't talk about the war, but there are lots of ways of finding out what's actually going on. It's nothing. It's nowhere near a complete informational lockdown. And that's because he's creating this chasm of sin so that in order to, to move over to the side of viewing the war the way the West views the war, you have to at one swoop 
admit that your nation is so evil that it doesn't bear even thinking about. And I think it's, I think it, I think it's a, most of the atrocities I think are done for the benefit of keeping the Russian people committed to him, because if they, they aren't, then they're complicit. So they just can't admit it. And, and it's very powerful. And um, I think Hitler did much the same thing. I, I, this is a very, a very, I think a lot of the most horrible totalitarian dictators of the 20th century bound their followers to them. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I do think Putin is a complete throwback to Mao and Hitler and Stalin. And he's just, um, and that's all I wanted to say, that I think the atrocities have a powerful political purpose for domestic Russian politics. Thank you, Rebecca. And I, I think you're right. I think that that's, a, that's an excellent point to be raising. Um, I'll even go a little bit further and expand on what you said, right? It, it seems like if you if you trawl through all of that comes out of Russia after every such you know, terror strike, um, what came out after uh, the atrocities in previously occupied territories were discovered, right? What what you saw coming out from Russia was a plethora of different uh, different responses. Anything from Ukrainians did it to themselves, all the way to we did it and the Ukrainians deserved it and we're, we're going to come and do more of it, right? And everything in between. They end up saying 15, 20 different things. And I think it's quite obvious why why they do it. They they do some, they say some of those things to appear more uh, palatable to, to tankies in the West, right? And they say, they say some of those things, as you quite rightly suggested, I think, to galvanize the population at home. And not just to galvanize the population at home, but also scare any parts of the populace domestically you know, within Russia that, that maybe would at some point want to rebel or want to dissent. You know, a reminder that you are a part of this uh, you know, violent regime. And uh, if you stay on the right side where you, you get to commit violence, otherwise you'll be on the other side and the violence will be committed against you. Yes, I, I think there is. And I, and I, I mean, completely. And this is a mafia. That's how mafias work. Only it's a mafia. Yeah. Um, I do remember early in the war, there was a video, I think it was the 1420 Project, it was asking couples on the streets of Moscow whether or not they believed the atrocities in Bucha happened. And the women just came down, no, there's no way Russians could do this. This is impossible. It's all a fake. And you watched the men and their eyes told you they knew damn well the Russian army could do these things. And, and I actually went back and watched the video with the sound off just to watch the differing emotional impact of those questions on people who were able to deny at some level and people who knew to apologize. No, no, quite, quite right. Quite right, Rebecca. And right, you, you see the kind of the, the method of, I, I keep calling it throwing shit at the wall, right? And you have uh, throwing shit at the wall where you have some stuff uh, that, that's there to kind of galvanize those who are particularly bloodthirsty, particularly violent personalities, right? And then you have other ones where it, it's... Uh, kind of to to soften the blow for those who aren't so comfortable um, with the atrocities and with the genocide that their countrymen are committing uh, next door, right? And that they can deny to themselves and keep saying, "Oh no, no, this is just a you know, it's a special military operation to uh, change the regime in Ukraine or whatever else." They, this is why they do all of this, right? This is why they go through all of these different steps so that they can happily go on 
continuing committing the atrocities that we have witnessed over the recent months with, that have been uh, going on, especially in the occupied Eastern Ukraine in Crimea for uh, years previously, right? Uh, but at the same time, uh, kind of keep a, keep a veneer of civilization for those who need it to, uh, to keep believing. And I'm just going to finish uh, growing up in, I'm a lot older, I think, than the rest of you guys. Uh, and my parents were older. Uh, my dad was a refugee. He was never in one of the camps, but he was a Jewish boy born in Berlin in, before World War II. Um, this is something that is going to be a much heavier burden and will haunt the Russians for at least the next two generations in a way that I don't think any of them have any commune. The, the Germans might, the adult Germans my parents knew in America were just haunted by the Holocaust in a way that even the Jews I knew weren't. And so if you, you know, choice, which country do you want to belong to? The Ukrainians are still the fortunate ones just because they're going to come out of as a co with themselves intact. That's my final thought. Thank you, Rebecca. And I think that's a, it's good thoughts and, Thank you for coming up and sharing them with us all. You know, very good uh, contextualization of it all. Um, Puppy, if you're around, I've got a quick question for you that um, I kind of mentioned to you previously. I am around embarking. So, excellent. So, with, with, the, with the stuff that Dimaev was saying to, to Politico, um, do you think that that's a way for him to place himself for uh, the next election, the upcoming election? Or is this... Um, you know, a a way to actually keep the government together? Well, the two are not mutually uh, exclusive, necessarily, right? So sometimes you're doing the right thing and doing uh, the, you know, politically sensitive, even cynically politically sensitive thing are, uh, uh, you know, in in the best case scenarios are the same thing. I... If you ask uh, how I feel about it myself, I would say certainly there is, uh, knowing the history of the guy, knowing uh, the background a little bit, uh, um, there might be, um, you know, cynically, politically motives uh, for uh, positioning himself for the next election. uh, But frankly, at the end of the day, I don't care too much. As long as uh, he's uh, saying the right things, uh, I am pretty much fine. And uh, yeah. Uh, just uh, contextualizing this, I don't believe that everybody is following uh, Italian politics daily. So there is an um, uh, ongoing uh, crisis, uh, political crisis in Italy. And Di Maio, who is the current uh, foreign minister, came out uh, saying that this crisis uh, is uh, helping Putin. Putin. And uh, yeah, he's undeniably right about that. So that's the that's the way it is. I see M with a hand raised, so I will shut up and stop rambling about um, Italian politics. Thank you, Papi. Good afternoon, M. Go right ahead. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a comment regarding this. However, I would like to urge everyone uh, with an iPhone to check for a Twitter update. If you're running uh, iPhone uh, 11s, I think, up to uh, 13, make sure to update your Twitter app to... Uh, version 9.17 version 9.17 to avoid the technical difficulties the space has been going through over the last two days and if you're running an android please check uh google play google store for uh twitter update thank you everyone. thank you uh good, excellent advice everybody should definitely heed. M, since we uh, have you here is there anything else you perhaps want to breach i have been following uh the news of uh the Ukrainians' request for F-15s, 
on uh, other fighter jets. And uh, I have to admit that I am nicely surprised by the rate of assimilation of modern heavier platforms. And I think European countries and the United States of America should consider uh, most Ukrainian requests for platform transfers uh, seriously and look into building the supply chains and the logistical trains required to operate those platforms as soon as possible, as well as expanding uh, training missions and adding new ones. Thank you, Um Indeed, very much in line with what we've been seeing, what we've been saying, right? There's a considerable need for Ukraine to get a lot more of the sort of stuff. They already got the, the advanced, the more advanced technology, um, and especially with having seen how effective the HIMARS have been thus far in Ukraine, right? Um, being able to limit both uh, you, Russian logistics in occupied territories as well as now uh, significantly limit the air defenses. You know, that's, uh, it's, it's a good start that would allow any future expansions of the Ukrainian Air Force to operate a lot better, right? And- Absolutely. I've been out of the loop for more than a week, I think, 10 days. Uh, but I've been following closely uh, data from uh, NASA's fire satellites. And some of the imagery coming out is quite astonishing. You can see how long-range artillery, rocket and propelled and self-propelled, have changed uh, the balance on the battlefield and how Ukrainians have managed to combine uh, good intelligence and deployment of those platforms to take out Russian artillery uh, supply and storage depots, uh, disrupting, thus disrupting uh, the primary uh, vector of their uh, doctrine in Ukraine since the beginning of the invasion, which is relying on long-range rocket artillery to destroy, level an entire city instead of conducting maneuver warfare uh, to allow their uh, battalion tactical groups to advance since their BTGs do not have enough infantry to conduct maneuver warfare. And given the their own logistical problems that they have been running into, fuel, food, ammunition. The fact that all those uh, artillery shells, each one of them come in a wooden crate and they have to find them all over Russia and then move them into those supply depots in Ukraine and then uh, distribute them to uh, their artillery uh, batteries as they conduct uh, their fire missions. So waiting on good intelligence and then deploying longer range uh, artillery against those targets uh, proved to be a, a very, very, very good strategy and a very good tactic. Exactly. And it's been, you know, while we've had some truly dreadful, terrifying news, uh, first that uh, attack in Chasiv Yar, uh, destroying a residential building, killing over 40 civilians in it, uh, then the, the attack on Vinica in broad daylight a couple of days ago, and then again, the multiple missile strike uh, against Dnipro last night, from which uh, I, I think there still isn't really a final report from. I think there, it almost seems as though the Ukrainian authorities are keeping a little bit quiet. You know, uh, at least having seen a lot of Russian ammo dumps uh, go up in flames, as well as some of their air defenses. Uh, certainly a, a positive aspect to the past week, right, Em? Absolutely, and regarding uh, targeting uh, civilian population centers, well, the Russian quote-unquote regimented forces are not conducting themselves as professional soldiers or planners or uh, fire mission commanders or anything for that matter. They have been conducting war crimes. This is an illegal invasion during which the invading force has been 
committing war crimes documented in this digital era in real time. And uh, it's just, just no words. It's one crime, one war crime after another. And one day uh, they will have to answer to those crimes. Precisely. Um, precisely. Thank you, Em. Uh, Nina? Uh, thank you, Domen. And hi. Uh, as I see that Em is here, I have a question for you. Uh, and I don't know if you can answer it, but anyway, I, I will ask you. Uh, as I have some connections in, in Iraq, and I have heard some time ago already that there is no government at the moment. And also, uh, I know that there has been like a lot of Russian propaganda going on for a long time. Uh, do you think that, uh, well, this, uh, no government, uh, this, uh, do you think that this will be like something uh, that benefits uh, Russia, that there is no government? And, and uh, what are the options or the visions uh, of what could happen in Iraq? Thank you. And do you have any thoughts on Iraq at all? I'm sorry, I was distracted. What is the question exactly regarding Iraq? Yes, I had a question for you that I have uh, connections in, in Iraq and I know for some time that there were, wasn't uh, there. I think Nina's audio felt here. Um, and I think it was a very general question. What do you think the outlook uh, for Iraq is, uh, seeing they don't have a, a government currently and um, they might be affected particularly, uh, Nina asked by Russian propaganda as well, uh, what the uh, outlook in Iraq will be over the next months and years to your opinion full bars now for yep makes uh makes uh, sense to me sorry nina your your audio failed you um when you were restating the question halfway so i did my best to do it and uh em says that it's uh going to be a big mess uh and for a long time upcoming ah okay a big mess long yeah for a long time um do you think uh that putin will somehow like um use this mess in, in his favor. Thank you. The current situation in Iraq is quite complicated given uh, the political landscape and what's going on. Uh, a more interesting development it is what has been happening in Libya. The leadership of uh, the Libyan National Oil Administration has been changed and they have ended their force majeure emergency and they have started pumping more than uh, 850,000 barrels of oil a day into the market. So that's a more interesting development in the region rather than what's happening in Iraq. It's more of a, a stalemate right there, uh, over there, right now over there. So uh, I, don't, I don't see the situation in Iraq changing until uh, late September, early October. Thank you. And I also heard you sighing when you were answering me. No, I'm actually smoking a cigarette. Sorry. <laughs> no need to say sorry. But yeah, I, I thought that you were like, uh, this is like a... Uh, uh, topic that you don't really w want to go into, but yeah, anyway, thank you. No, my pleasure. All topics are welcome to discuss. Again, uh, peace. Hi, good afternoon again. Hi, um, um, maybe can I ask you your comments since we you just touched upon the subject of oil? Um, I just saw a notification half an hour ago from Business Insider that mentions that. Saudi Arabia agrees to boost oil production after Joe Biden visits the kingdom. So I would like to have your your views and your assessment on it. It's it's always very insightful. Thank you. Yes, I uh, saw that article. 
Uh, like I said, the Saudis have been hammering uh, certain financial leverage points. Uh, it will increase uh, oil production to 13 million barrels a day. Uh, I don't know exactly when that uh, increase will hit uh, the market. What I know for sure is that every single capacity in oil services is more or less booked until the end of this year. There's a lead-up time on piping uh, that will not end until maybe late October, early November, maybe January next year. Whatever capacities are being added to all markets right now are not going to make any significant changes until quarter one of 2023. Uh, that's when supply will catch up uh, with demand. So they want to increase from 9 million barrels to 13 million barrels. Uh, that's adding 4 million bar barrels, which is almost 40% increase. Uh, it will take several months to do so, and it will require a lot of uh, added capacity to their oil services contracts and their oil services requested jobs. Whether the oil services companies, mainly Schlumberger, Halliburton, Bicca Hughes, and uh, Weatherford will be able to recruit enough personnel and secure enough equipment to carry out those uh, tasks or jobs to increase uh, capacities on certain wells or whether uh, Saudi Arabia has uh, a capacity to increase production right now uh, at fully developed fields where they haven't been pumping uh, oil out of. Uh, I don't know, it's yet to be seen. There, there needs to be uh, more of a technical announcement vis-a-vis -a, -vis a political agreement announced in a in an opinion article or a reporting article. So once the information start coming out of uh, the supply chains, who placed uh, which orders, uh, who's going to recruit more personnel, who's going to add more capacity, we will try. We will understand more about how they can achieve that, and when they can achieve it, and when will those extra barrels will be available to be delivered to the market. Thank you, Em. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know who was first. I'm going to go with Ben first, and then Puppy. Ben. Thank you. Uh, uh, M, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, I think it was two or three weeks ago. You, you were a bit uh, in a ranty mood and uh, you went on about the future alliance between Turkey and uh, Iran and blah, blah, blah. And I thought you were absolutely full of shit, completely uh, making a fool of yourself. And I was going to have a big laugh at your expenses. Hold and behold. Uh, Earlier this week, there's this whole thing with the the, um, the Turkish and Iranian rapprochement. Um, do you can you can you expand and explain to us how you got to your conclusion and uh, um, yeah, help us to to see through the clock because honestly, I I didn't know there was the sort of thing that was in the in the woodworks. And that was very yeah. long-winded flattery, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I'm used to be a. Uh... What, what, what do they call it? A self-sabotaging Jeremiah? Yeah, I can see the future. All I need to do is rub my crystal ball and then whoo, I get visions of what's going to happen. It has been in the cards for, ten, for more than 10 years. It has always been the game. Control the Shiite regions in Iraq. Control the Shiite regions in Syria. Try to extend the pipeline from Qatar all the way to the Mediterranean. And then the Russians came in, cock-blocked the Ayatollahs and stopped that plan. Now they needed to figure a way around it, so... It's a game of uh, economic interests. They uh, will just sit down and make sure that they have some measure of control regarding what's happening in Mesopotamia, since uh, Syria and Iraq are no longer countries, in my opinion. Rather, uh, 
realms of fighting between regional and non-regional players and tools. But yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm not known for trifling with what will happen, uh, but I'm known for accepting uh, being dismissed. It's fine. It's part of uh, it's part of the game. But uh, yeah, the Russians. Want... <laughs> yeah, the Cassandra syndrome. Uh, the Russians want to back uh, this sort of a loose-based alliance. Everyone thinks that the Syrians and the Iranians and the Qataris and the Turks and the Russians and uh, everyone in between do not really share full intelligence. They do not, and they will not. But they can agree to a certain uh, economic uh, framework backed by certain uh, non-state actor actions where they can play the plausible deniability card or play the, oh, look, we're not responsible. These are crazy people who believe in certain and certain uh, myths of uh, their uh, religious and societal uh, beliefs and traditions, and we're just trying to put out the fire where, in fact, most of their security services are controlling uh, that fire. Sometimes it goes out of control, but they manage to bring it back under control so that they would advance their agenda. Uh, this will be a loosely based alliance between the Turks and the Iranians and backed by the Russians. The Qataris are going to play ball because they want to continue to sell uh, LG, uh, sorry, NG and, and oil from the well they share with uh, Iran. For people who have been observing uh, the region for quite some time now, it is not really normal for you to uh, lose, uh, what, 12, 15 members of your royal family going on a hunting trip in Iraq, getting abducted by a certain militia and then paying $500 million in cash to have them uh, released. So, yeah, if you know, you know, Ben. Okay, thank you. Um, well, I don't know, so I don't know. Um, I, I have um, just a quick follow-up question for Domin. Um, what wine do you th would you pair with, um, with my hat? Because since I have to eat it, may as well enjoy it. Um, I think you'll want something uh, both high in acid, but also very full-bodied, uh, maybe a... South African Shannon would be good, or maybe a dry Johansson. Um, Papi, you had your hand up to a second ago. Yeah, I unraised my hand, but I will go ahead anyways, just um, making a slightly redundant redundant uh, um, addition to what um, M was saying, which is, uh, yeah, even if it takes uh, time for, for oil to, you know, reach uh, the pipeline, uh, get out of the well, still there is... Um, uh, market expectations um, dynamics uh, that uh, uh, is uh, relevant based on uh, you know the fact that uh, uh, the market expects more oil to be 